1991 to 1994, Chevy made a 7.1 first gear New Venture 4500. 1995, they changed it to a 4 to 1. Well, I wanted that one for the Scrambler and I had to drive 12 and a half hours to go get it from a guy. You just do the research and you buy it, then you bring it home and then you fab the parts up to make it fit underneath the Jeep and you know, here we are. And now, a Jeep Talk Show special episode. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show. With Wendy, there will be body damage. Chuck. I like making people laugh. That's it's good for my soul. Chuck. Yeah, I don't think so. And Joey. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. Ah, yes. The first of our Jeep Talk Show special episodes. And this is going to be an extra special episode because... It's an interview with Chuck, our newest co-host on the Jeep Talk Show. And, uh, you know, this is uh, actually our first week with five episodes. Yes, you guys have been asking for it for a while. It finally came. No, not everybody's been asking for it. I'm, uh, don't, don't worry, I'm not lying to myself. <laughs> but the four episodes a week seem to be doing very well. Uh, everybody seems to be... Uh, downloading every uh every one of the four episodes that we have a week if you're not familiar with that maybe you didn't already know that we have four episodes a week we do we recently changed the release days of those episodes so tuesday is our flagship episode it normally was released on friday and then wednesday it stays the same the great roundtable that you're used to hearing whether it's questions that we ask of the zoom uh members zoom meeting members or a uh, Q&A with a guest. Uh, there's no telling what you may find there, but it's always fun. It's always a great conversation uh, among uh, many Jeepers, which you can be a part of as well. And then on Thursday is our flagship two episode, the one you would normally hear on Monday. And then come Friday is our great interview episode. And of course, this week we'll be having two interview episodes, uh, Monday and Friday. So um, just want to uh, quickly mention to anybody that's listening to this on uh, Monday, uh, October 31st, uh, Happy Halloween, of course, but uh, this, is the, uh, this is SEMA week, and we are going to have four volunteers at SEMA for the Jeep Talk Show this year. So Chuck is, is going to be there. Uh, Bob, two cheap Jeep guys, is going to be there. And then on uh, Wednesday, Chris is scheduled to be there. And then on Thursday, uh, Larry Jeeping Mo is going to be there. So any of you people that are listening that are at SEMA, especially if you're a vendor out there, I'm just going to warn you, you may be getting hit up by four different Jeep Talk Show volunteers and uh, one co-host. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Heidi ho, boys and girls. It's time for another Jeep Talk Show interview. And tonight we're going to be talking with uh, a gentleman named Chuck. Uh, you may know him as Charles, which I, I think would be the uh, the name he's least likely to use unless he's charging you money. Uh, Chuck is uh, one of our <laughs> new co-hosts on uh, the Jeep Talk Show. And uh, we thought it would be a great idea. Actually, Chuck thought it would be a great idea. And I agreed with him to get him on here and do a little interview so you can find out more about Chuck. Now, I think it's safe to say that if you are 
uh, a, a past Zoom uh, meeting member that you know Chuck very well, and you've enjoyed some of his antics in the the Zoom room. It was uh, back in the days we were doing the uh, the roundtable episodes. I'm sorry, the uh, the um, what do you call it? The fire uh, the campfire side chat. Fire side chat. Yeah, part mm-hmm. of uh, that was part of the uh, the the Friday episode. Uh, and then, uh, of course, in the uh, the roundtable episodes, uh, you got to be in a few of the roundtable episodes, did you, uh, Chuck, or did you just come to the, oh, the, the Thursday night recording? No, we, I did uh, did both of them while they were running. All yep. right, all right, cool. So anyway, uh, we're going to talk to Chuck and find out a little more about Chuck. Chuck, I'd like to start off with. Um, well, I, I, actually, I'm going to go back a little further than what I was planning. Let's go with uh, how you started wheeling, because I've made the joke before that uh, you literally came out of your mom. You were birthed out, um, into off-roading. Yeah. I'm not going to say it, you know, because she, she got after me for yeah, saying it a couple said, of times. Don't say, don't say the V word. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that word is. No, no. Sorry. Said, don't say it. You, so. Sorry, Chuck's mom. <laughs> sorry, mom. <laughs> so, but you yeah, got man, started I, at a very early age. Uh, Dude, like I, I was born into it. And what was neat was my mom and dad were both born into it. And my grandparents started right after the Korean War. So that's how far back the lineage goes. And uh, of course, I don't remember most of anything before, you know, three or five years old. Sure. But uh, uh, I definitely went uh, on the first time on the Rubicon. My mom was pregnant. Uh, this was back before, you know, there was all these rules and regulations on, you know, what you can and can't do while you're pregnant. Back then, it was just, you know, drink beer and have a good time. And um, <clears throat> mom didn't do that, but you know what I mean. And uh, right after I was born, you know, the car seat was thrown in the back. I had a brother that was four years older than me, and uh, he had the same childhood, same upbringing. And uh, many stories of mom breastfeeding me underneath the Jeep. To get the heat off of the engine and the trans the, the transmission while it was snowing up on the Rubicon or Ford Ice or you know Barrett Lake Trail or whatever, and um, I don't remember that of course, but that's how I was raised. And my my stepdad, who uh, was very early on in my, my my life, probably one or two years old, uh, he is the one that bottle broke me on Barrett Lake Trail. So you know, fast forward to. I don't know when you bottle break a child, you know, two, three, four, fifteen, and uh, I was throwing my bottle out on the trail, and my dad, who I'm named after, Chuck, he's my stepdad, but I was named after him, an old Jeep and family friend. Uh, he said, "You throw your bottle out one more time, and you ain't gonna get it." So of course I threw it out, and he went on the CB to the Jeeps behind him and said, "Hey, pick up Chuck's bottle. We'll get it on the trailhead." And of course I was a child, and I didn't know it. I probably just went to sleep and <laughs> got home and. Went, you know, where's my bottle? You know, bot, 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 you know, that's the story at least. And nope, your bottle broke. You left it out on the trail. So I've been looking for it ever since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you still look around when you're out on the trail? Just uh, do you, uh, do you yeah. re- revert back and go, well, I wonder if my bottle is there. I mean, I know where it is, but it, I'm just yeah. kind of curious. Is there a bottle layer? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah, of a, it's just empty. I'm thinking yeah, yeah. of a great thing to do uh, to you next time while we're off road, like maybe at uh, another Jeep talk show event. Everybody brings a bottle and throws it out on the on the trail, and you start flipping out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, so, I mean, my earliest memories as a child is you know being buckled into the back seat of a of a CJ five, 
and all of mom and dad's camping gear just packed around my brother and I, and we'd go out and we'd we'd go camping for a week with four normal sized pre people in a CJ five. How mom kept the food cold that long, I don't know. And you know, we come from a from a beer drinking family, you know, so dad would always have his beer with him and everything, and and uh, it's kind of neat when you when you become when my brother because my brother's four years older than me, so you got to think when I'm 14 years old, my brother had moved out, and so now it's just me and my mom and my dad. I became dad's sidekick, and I literally rode on the driver's side fender. Yeah, you know, I just put both knees up on the fender and put my body on the hood to keep dad's front end from flipping over a lot. Oh god. You know, and, and <laughs> right. I mean, this is way, I mean, this is in the 80s and you know, in the early 90s, way back before, you know, safety was a thing. And I I I have pictures of me just happy just happy as a puppy with two peters, man. I'm just out there with my dad on the front of his Jeep. There's dust and shit everywhere and I'm on the driver's side fender. You know, it's like, I would never do that now, but back then it was just a thing. Like, hey, you're either going to roll over or you're going to put your kid up there as a counterbalance, you know? Well, more than likely, you would have been launched in the air and be safely landed uh, 20, 30 feet away from the, the overturned vehicle. <laughs> on pillows. Yeah, playing on pillows. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, it's something that is a, a very interesting uh, uh, time in your life and something that obviously made a big difference uh, to how you are now. Yeah, I uh, the the second that I could afford to buy a Jeep, I ran out and bought it. And you know, I, and you know, we, we come up from humble beginnings, and um, it's not like I thought that we were poor. Uh, we were in in that day's standards. We did not have a lot, but they always had enough money to take us camping. And you know, all they would do is just take the sandwich stuff and the breakfast stuff that we already had in the kitchen. You know, you throw it in the in the cooler or the boxes and we didn't have any pre-made food everything was just make it yourself and you go camping so in my mind it was very normal just to take you know tuesday's lunch and go camping with it you know we didn't go to the store and buy anything special so when i was old enough and of course i i started cowboy when i was very young started construction when i was you know almost pre-teen and uh got a white envelope and on the front of it put jeep fund and I mean, there was nickels and a dollar and five dollars. Every once in a while, there'd be a 20. And uh, when Craigslist became a thing, uh, before Craigslist, it, would, it was the, uh, of course, I grew up in Sacramento, uh, South Sacramento. So um, the newspaper in Sacramento Bee would always have the, the, what is it, the classifieds. And dad and I, every Sunday morning, we'd go through and look at the Jeeps. We'd never call them because we didn't have the money, but it's always like, you're always kind of seeing what things cost. And when Craigslist and the internet became a thing, I would peruse the internet every Sunday because Sunday mornings were really the only time that I didn't work. And I found a Jeep, my buddy Matt and I found a Jeep for $500. And this was, gosh, I was 18, 19, 20 years old, something like that. And we went and bought this Jeep. I uh, didn't have any seats in it, didn't have anything. The fenders were all all crunched in and uh, someone had rolled it and so the side of the tub was completely destroyed and uh we drove that thing home uh on i was sitting on a five gallon bucket drove it home and uh him and i made some tube fenders for it and welded some seats in and went to strawberry pass trail like a couple days later and i was already hooked but that was my first my own jeep and wheeling jeep and it was uh uh, I've never looked back. That's how we built them back then. You know, we just 
you buy some old piece of shit for $500 and take the power steering out of it, change your manual steering back into the other one, sell it the next weekend for the same amount of money you bought it, and now you have your upgraded part because we couldn't afford, you know, four-wheel parts wholesale or anything like that. You know, you just handmade your stuff. This is great. And, and you still maintain that uh, that Jeep idea to this day. I mean, I think you probably spend a lot yes. more than $500 for some of these older Jeeps that you buy. Uh, and and, and yep. that's really kind of your, uh, I guess, trademark is that uh, you really like and uh, know a lot about the um, earlier Jeeps. Like, uh, I would would it be safe to say like 80s uh, back or uh, would it yeah. be later than that? Uh, so, like, 1986 is kind of the last year that I know anything about, because that's when AMC went to Daimler Chrysler. 1987 is the square headlight YJ, which is uh, um, pretty much a CJ, just much better. Um, I know I just said that out loud, but it really is. <laughs> I, was, I was shocked. <laughs> yeah. And, and really, the knowledge base comes off of the necessity of knowing what parts are interchangeable, because... We just didn't have the money to buy new. You always bought used, and you built your Jeep out of newer used Jeep parts. So I started learning the difference between a 1974 and a 1976, which is huge. They are, they are absolutely diametrically opposite Jeeps. Now, they're both the CJ5. There was no CJ7 in 1974, but the frame rails are different. The steering components are different. The axle, the way they mount, the springs of the mount, everything's different. And then you start going back farther and farther and as I got older and could pay a little bit more for Jeeps, you know, $1,500 here, you know, $1,700 there, you start getting into the more historical Jeeps and you start really realizing that they look the same, but there is, there is a lot of differences, you know, and um, being in the place I am now, you know, we've got a 1941 slat grill that is way different than the 1942. Yeah, I have a 1944 as well. Um, the 44 and the 41, even though they're both World War II Jeeps, the frames are different. The tubs are different. You know, the seats are different. The grills, of course, are different because one's a nine stamp and one is a actual barred front end. If you Google, any of the listeners go and Google 1941 slat grill, you will see that's the beginning bef before Henry Ford actually said, no, we can't hand make that anymore. The War Department actually ha asked Henry Ford, can you help? And he says, absolutely. And in the beginning of 1942, I think it was like April, May, March, you know, time frame, he said, hey, I want to stamp this thing. That's where the iconic nine slot came from. And of course, that changed in 1946 when, I, uh, when Willie's Overland started making the civilian Jeep. But you learn all of this stuff because you could not afford to buy new. And you wanted to do stuff that bolted up. And you didn't have to do a lot of fabrication. And that turned into a lifetime of learning the history of the jeep you know my wife and i were chatting the other day about you know the simple fact that you know i know the color swatches 1971 renegade one and people go well renegade one what is that well the renegade one was the first couple of years 1972 then they started changing 1973 they started changing the renegade two and then 1976 they just dropped the numbers and went to renegade she goes how do you know that crap like, well because <laughs> you couldn't buy new you could not buy new you had to just do your research. And it would take me sometimes six, seven, eight months to find the rig that I needed because I needed a an offset Dana 20. That only came in the automatics, right? And I, I needed one, so I had to buy one. And it took me a long time to find the frame that had the offset Dana 20 in it. 
you know, they only made it for a couple of years in the late 1980s. And it just became a passion of mine. So, you know, you come into the office here and there is just so much historical stuff because I just find it, you know, and it's like, oh, that's cool. Let's save it and stick it on a shelf or whatever. But yeah, what a great, great life, great childhood, you know, growing up to being the man I am now that just really gets to immerse myself. Yeah, I mean, even when the Scrambler build, you know, the Scrambler build has a lot of uh, very modified stuff. You know, it took me, gosh, I think it took me six or seven months to find the the new Venture 4500, which is the five-speed. But Chevy made, in the 1991 to 1994, Chevy made a 7.1 first gear new Venture 4500. Well, in 1995, they changed it to a five-to-one or a four-to-one, excuse me. Well, I wanted that one for the Scrambler and I had to drive 12 and a half hours to go get it from a guy. You know, and you just do the research and you buy it, and then you bring it home and then you fab the parts up to make it fit underneath the Jeep. And, you know, here we are, you know. Would you say that you're a, love- a history buff at all? Or is it just, uh, like you uh, say, it's just something that you had to do to, yeah. to do what you wanted to do? And. I, I wouldn't say that I'm a history buff at all. I, I definitely do like going, like, uh, every time I go up and see my friend Chris up in Detroit, we go to the Henry Ford Museum, and I always giggle because I look up, and they've got a, you know, an, uh, a 42, and I go, I got one that's older, you know, uh, screw, <laughs> screw you, Henry Ford. But my childhood desperately is the, not desperately, is definitely the happiest time of my life. And when my children and I, you know, I'm a, as a single daddy, you know, I had two very young boys in diapers and I had my CJ5, the same one that I have now that they helped me build. You know, of course they just hit it with a hammer, you know, while we we're out there building it together because they were, you know, two and three years old. Sure. That's got to be that, that's got to be almost identical happiness as when I was a child. So for me to do research on 1941 to 1986 Jeeps is not work. I mean, it's it's very easy for me to grab a twelve pack of beer, throw it here next to the next to the uh, the Jeep desk here, the iconic, you know, Chuck Frederick's Scrambler Jeep desk, and I can peruse Jeep stuff for for hours, mm. hours and hours and hours because I absolutely love it. And for some reason, it is I think because I identify it with my happiness, it is fused into my head. I don't forget it, and I I just absolutely. It, it's interesting how learning works, and it, it would be great if, uh, and I think some people do have the ability to motivate themselves to be interested in things that they're not interested in and learn it. I've always had a really hard time with that. Uh, so, uh, but, mm-hmm. but, but, but like you, if it's something that I'm interested in, I often will go through uh, many gyrations to uh, find the information, and then uh, all that work involved helps me remember it. So you mentioned earlier yep. about your brother going uh, off uh, off road with uh, you, uh, uh, your mom, and uh, your uh, stepdad. Um, how did uh, the the Jeep experience affect him? Is is he at all in involved in Jeeps? No, uh, he was he was very close to my biological father. Um, I think when mom mo- kind of moved on in her life and continued the Jeeping world, I think that kind of hurt my biological father's feelings a little bit. He had a beautiful, oh, I think it was a 71, 72, don't quote me on it. Um, he had, the yellow that came from AMC was called a sunset yellow. 
Uh, it's a very unattractive, kind of a dingy, low-key yellow. Mm -hmm. And he turns his Jeep to what's called uh, the 77 Corvette yellow, which is a very bright, in-your-face. There you go. Not lime, not lime, but it was a beautiful, bright, bright Jeep. And uh, and um, Dad, well, we'll call him Dad also as well as my stepdad. Dad, there was no steps in my family. They were both men figures in my life. Uh, dad had uh, affinity for chrome, so he had this big, oh, beautiful no. yellow Jeep and chrome <laughs> bumpers and chrome. I mean, it was very flashy. And uh, he, I think he got in an accident with it or something happened and he tore it down. And he never really got back into the Jeeping theme because every time he did, it reminded him of uh, his childhood. See, my dad and my mom grew up down the street from each other. Um, his dad, Cliff, was the jeeper from the Korean War with his brother, Tex. So, dad was definitely immersed in jeeping, and when they met Julie, my mom, they kind of brought her in. Mom was more of a backpacking kind of a background. Her dad was all in the backpacking and nature and very much against the off-roading community, but, you know, once you get into the jeep, you can't get out. So, mom got in the backseat of the jeep with, you know, Grandpa Cliff, and that was it. So when mom moved on, I think dad lost it. And my brother kind of went that route. Uh, he did build a uh, 1973 Renegade. Uh, it's actually called a Renegade 2. Had the 304 in it with a three-speed. And uh, I had a 1959 uh, Willie CJ5. I had a V8 in it and a four-speed and 538 gears. And I did a lot of really neat stuff. The offset 44 is kind of cool because you can put locking hubs in the back of your Jeep as well, not just in the front. And so I can flat-toe that Jeep like a trailer. And I did that very often, and my brother would drive his Jeep up. And uh, the last time my brother was in his Jeep, we were on the Barrett Lake Trail. And, uh, of course, I had 538s and a 4-speed. My brother had 373s and a 3-speed. And the Rock Garden and the beginning of Barrett Lake Trail is probably the hardest that I've ever done. And, of course, I've wheeled all over the West Coast. And I made it through just okay. And my brother... Uh, he didn't quite have the roll cage set up on his yet. I mean, he did have a roll cage, of course. And uh, his throttle was pushed a little bit too far. And uh, he rocked, and the Jeep rolled, and he knocked himself out. Uh, he was the only one in the Jeep. And when he knocked himself out, his big heavy foot just floored it. And he went through the rock garden the fastest I've ever seen anybody do it. Oh, no. And woke up. <laughs> well, yeah, and then woke up on the back end. Oh, and, uh, and my brother's four years older than me and very proud individual. And I went up, you know, ran up to him like a little brother, like, bro, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, that's fine. I says, get out. And of course, this is a different time, so I'm going to say some things that we have now moved on from. I said, get out and have a beer. And he goes, <laughs> and I said, you need to calm your nerves. And the second that I said that, something snapped in my brother. And he never... I, th I don't even think we made it to Barrett Lake. I think we made it about three quarters of the way. And he fought it the whole way because he was shaking. I mean, it was, it was, he, you can visually see the shakiness in him. And he's a big man. He, I mean, he, at that time, he really dwarfed me as a person. And, um, and I said, bro, it's going to be okay. Let's have some sandwiches. You know, we did. We made some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and had a couple of Cokes and some waters. And I was like, we can just keep making it. And he goes, you know what, dude, I'm done. 
And we drove out, and he drove off, and he never went wheeling again. Actually, his Jeep um, is sitting in a fence row in Wilton, California, rotting. And I've begged, I begged the family, get a hold of Scott and let me buy it from him, and I'll restore it to its glory. And absolutely not. So, brother does not have the uh, the same affinity as Jeeping, and I kind of don't blame him. Because getting knocked out on the trail and then flooring a giant V8 with 373 gears is probably not oh, what anyone wants. Easily, to do. easily could have died or been hurt severely. And uh, uh, yeah, so no, I, he did, I can get it. He did, yeah, he did a little bit later. He went on the uh, the Midnight Rubicon with one of my best friends, Matt, uh, who's an avid Jeeper, very much infused into the Jeeping world in the Northern California area. Uh, Matt brought him up there and as a as a rock roller and because um, that kind of need to to get that many Jeeps through the Rubicon. If you're sitting there just fumble effing your way through some of the obstacles, it would take way too long. And uh, my brother did have a pretty nasty uh, accident while he was uh, up there, had to get life lighted out. Uh, they were going to amputate, you know, one of his digits on his hand or something. Matt, if you're listening, you can call me and tell me if I'm wrong. But these are the things I remember. I did not have a good communication with my brother, you know, after that, uh, that Barrett Lake incident. Uh, I do know that my mom called, you know, I was a combat medic in the army. So she was like, Hey, what would you do? And I said, well, I should probably cut it off. Um, but I think that was the last time he physically was around Jeeps off road. And this would have been 10 years ago when uh, he had to get life lighted out of there mm-hmm. or whatever, I not life lighted, but he was on the helicopter. Right. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a bummer to have that much history and then just go, eh, not for me. You know? Well, you but, know, it could always it could always come back, but you have to do what you what's right for your life. It's just sad to hear, but it, it's interesting, I think, from the standpoint of how what you went through, uh, and I'm sure you've had your own incidents, uh, <laughs> perhaps not as bad as that, but uh, oh, yeah. you've had your own incidents, and it wasn't like, well, I, I got to stop doing this. It's just like. Uh, the jeeping world is a is a very big thing to you. One of the things that I'm curious about is why you didn't uh, move on from the older jeeps to the newer jeeps. I mean, like the the YJs, the TJs, um, the the JKs. So um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but it, it you you just seem to have a, a love and an interest in jeeps, and uh, you know now the 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 YJ is so old. It's probably as old as the the Jeeps that you were dealing with when you were a kid uh, are now. So it's it's interesting yeah. to me that you've uh, if you've stuck with the the much older generation, and especially with all the parts being so hard to get. Well, so I remember the sitting there in the living room when you know all the lawsuits were going through with AMC, and you know we kind of knew that the 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 company was in a demise and. They sold off to Daimler Chrysler, which in the in the eighties, you got to remember, in the mid to late eighties, everything was really smogged down, and the vehicles were not very good, and the Jeep was still this rugged off road thing, and everything else had kind of gone to the, you know, countrypolitan, you know, city cityfied type vehicle, and when AMC sold to Daimler Chrysler, Daimler Chrysler really inherited a huge lawsuit. And so they wanted to get, they wanted to move as far away from American Motor Corporation as they could, but they didn't really have the tooling to completely redo stuff. So 
the first thing that they did is they squared off the front end of the CJ. It's the same tub. You can take a YJ tub and a CJ7 tub, yank them apart, set them side by side, and they're the same. There is not much differences other than, you know, that says on the back is there's a Wrangler and, you know, you got a different place for the lights and things like that. But I really think that they're, they're very close. And when they did that, all of the jeeping world that I was a part of went, we're going to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm. You know, the world has now turned to hell and it's snowing outside. And uh, I knew a guy that he owned, um, it, now it's called Specialized Full Drive, but back in the day it was called Specialized Jeep. Of course, Jeep sued them. He put it to Specialized Jeep with a G, a G. And he started talking to all of us about bringing these pieces of shit in there and people wanted to go wheeling with them and they really couldn't <laughs> because, you know, and he would talk so much bad, you know, talk bad about them. So that has always been in the kind of back of my brain. I've never liked the looks of the YJ. I completely understand that they're very capable. There's not much differences. I just don't like them. Uh-huh. And I couldn't afford it. See, my because I, I grew up so financially, I don't want to say destitute, but we were very limited. Challenged. I spent my, financially challenged. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I spent my entire life that, okay, you know, if I have $100 and I have a choice between buying a $50 thing to have fun or a $75 thing that can make me another $100, I'll spend the $75 to make more money. Sure. And that's kind of how that's kind of how I've always been. And the Jeep has always just been in the background. So you can buy CJs up until, you know, 2010, 15, you know, for a thousand bucks. And because of the fact that I've been doing it for so long, I always have the spare parts that are needed. Like my son, Nathan, uh, I gave him our, our rock crawler, which is 1974 CJ5. It's boat sided and dovetail that's sprung over. You know, we hand built everything on it. And it's got the 4.2 in it with a T18 four speed. And uh, he blew the motor sky high. And he, was, he felt so bad. And I kind of giggled like, oh, no big deal. You know, we'll just find another motor. And for the next couple weeks, you know, I'm calling my friends. Like, hey, do you have one? Yeah, it's $1,000. I'm like, I must spend $1,000 on it. 4.2 liter. Like, you're crazy. And then I remembered, oh, son of a bitch. Called up a buddy that I actually bought my scrambler from. I had a couple Jeep parts over there. And I said, don't I have a 4.2 sitting in your backyard? He goes, oh, yeah, it's sitting underneath the tarp. I said, go spin it. He spun the motor. I went over there that day or the next day, grabbed it. We installed it that night. And there you go. You got to run in Jeep again, right? Well, that becomes from 20, I think I did the math, 25 years of building Jeeps and keeping the parts. We never sold any parts. We sold whole Jeeps, but we never sold the parts. So for me to buy a, a YJ or a TJ, I have to start all over again. I don't have anything that's that can be, you know, uh, interchanged. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, that that's huge. And I think Jeep did not catch my eye again until, don't quote me on this because I'm, I'm terrible when it comes well, to my personal time. You're quoting term. yourself on this interview. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, but you're going you're gonna to know this because you own one. Okay. One of my best friends, Chris, got married up in Detroit. I was the best man, or not the best man. I was right next to the best man. He didn't really have a best man. It was just us up there. Best man adjacent. And yeah, best man ish. And on the way back, I looked at my wife, and I'm kind of a free spirit, if you haven't found out by now. And uh, I say, hey, we're going to stop in Toledo. My wife goes, okay, why? And I says, well, that's where the Jeep has always always been built. 
the Toledo factory. And she goes, no one cares. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like going to Graceland uh, to visit uh, the the El Hole Elvis thing. (laughs) Right. So I I drive up, and and I think we were driving a Ford at the time. I don't even think we had had a Dodge. And, you know, you drive up, and you can see the big Willie's Tower, which is the red brick thing that says Willie's down the end of it. And I'm taking pictures of it. You know, cool. And, of course, there's fences everywhere and, you know, cameras and shit. And uh, I drive up, and uh, there's the iconic Jeep big sign, and it's got some stuff in front of it, so you can, like, on special occasions, like, park your Jeep up there and get pictures next to the Jeep sign. Right. And it says, no, no, no entry. You know, you're going to be shot on site, and the guard dogs are going to eat your children. I'm like, oh, great. We're driving in here. And my wife is looking at me like, you cannot do this. I says, what's the worst thing they're going to do? <laughs> That's right. Believe. Like, who cares, honey? So I drive in there and I says, you going to walk up with me? And she goes, absolutely not. I'm like, oh, okay. But JW was alive at the time, who was my, my service dog. And so Jay and Marilee just stay in the truck and I walk up. And as I'm walking down the parking lot, here comes uh, a young woman, you know, in her, in her 30s or 40s or whatever. I thought you were going to say security. She, and she's kind of, <laughs> no. And she's kind of looking at me strange, you know, because here I am, this, you know, tall cowboy guy. And I'm just walking up. And I make sure I double step and I get to the door and I open up the door and she looked at me crazy and I said, nice to see you, ma'am. And as she walked in, she stopped and she turned and she said, can I help you? And I said, oh, no, ma'am, not at all. I'm just here. I, I, I'm a huge Jeep enthusiast and uh, I just, you know, wanted to see this place. And she goes, well, uh, you do know that, like, you can't do that. And I giggled and I go, <laughs> oh, I know, I know. And I says, but I, my, my buddy that I met in first deployment is getting married. I was one of his best men. So on the way back, I said, I own a cattle ranch down in Kansas. On the way back, I uh, I just wanted to stop and see this. I, I'm third generation Jeeper, and I absolutely love the models. I, I just, I can't, you know, for me to even be in this place is huge for me. And she goes, well, do you have a minute? And I says, yes. She says, are you by yourself? I says, no, my wife and my dog are in the truck. And she starts laughing. She goes, you left them in the truck? And I says, well, she was afraid to come in. She says, well, you just wait. I said, okay. She's the reasonable one. Sorry. Yeah, she's, well, yeah. Well, her and the dog, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's her choice to be married to me. So I'm sitting in there, and they've got a 1942 right in the showroom. You know, Not a showroom, but at the entrance. Right. And, you know, they got like a, a mannequin there that's got all the World War, you know, two, you know, regalia on and blah, blah, blah. And here comes this gentleman. And he puts his hand out, and I, I wish I couldn't remember his name, but he was the chairman of um, the Jeep um, um, Union. Mm-hmm. And he came out, and he, sh- he shook my hand, and he goes, can I help you? And I go, oh, not really, sir. I'm just here to, to say hi. Like, this is wonderful. Thank you very much. And we start talking. He goes, well, do you have, I hear, I hear your wife is here. And I go, yeah. He goes, well, invite her in. I says, okay. So I call Marilee, and I says, hey, just leave the windows down. Jay's asleep anyhow. Just come on in. So she goes in there, and he goes, "I'm so and so, such and such, chairman of the Jeep, you know, uh, union." And then the uh, the shop steward comes out, and we start talking. And he goes, uh, "Well, what do you think about this Jeep?" And he was talking about forty two. And my wife laughed at him, and he goes, "Excuse me?" And she goes, "Oh, he's got one older." And the guy blinked, like nineteen forty two. That's the first Jeep ever made. And I go, well, absolutely no, sir. I, I have a, I have a December 1941 slat grill, all original that I got out of California. And he goes, uh, what? And she goes, you didn't tell him? Uh, no, I didn't. 
And she goes, oh, yeah. Well, he's got a 1946 Warman top. And the guy looked at me and he goes, what is that? And I says, oh, well, 1946, when, you know, that's the second year that they were making civilian Jeeps, the aftermarket thing had already been done. And the Jeep Corporation looked at one of their engineers, and the engineer's last name was Warman, and said, hey, make a aftermarket top for these Jeeps, because then they were just topless. So they made 12 of them. There's four of them left in the U.S., and I have one. It was a barn find, and I have not touched it at all. It's all original. Like, no bullshit. There's nothing been changed on this Jeep. And he looked at me and he said, do you want a, um, not an interview, but uh, a walkthrough of the factory? And I go, oh my God, I would love to be in this factory. And he goes, okay, well, you have to you know, give your cell phones up. You got to do this. There was a big safety brief. They did a background check on us to make sure that, you know, we weren't from Ford or anything. <laughs> and for two and a half hours, he drove us through the Jeep factory where they were making the gladiator before the gladiator was revealed and he says you cannot tell anybody this but we're revealing this for the first time you know, in like motor trend or whatever in like two weeks i had a chubby for two and a half hours <laughs> i looked at my wife and i said i want one of these so bad i said this is the four-door scrambler and she looked at me and she goes oh my god honey we can't afford this i said i know we can never afford one I just said, I want one. And afterwards, I mean, what a wonderful welcome that the Jeep did. And once he found out that we were, you know, uh, um, a military family, you know, had done deployments and, you know, in a combat zone and all this stuff. I mean, they just lavished us with love. And I actually have some shirts and some sweatshirts that the only place you can get them is by working in the Toledo factory. And then uh, when we were all done, uh, as I was leaving, I get a uh, a note and it's a phone number and it says hey please call me and i called it and it was the young lady that i had met and she goes um i have never heard of anybody going into a secure place and just walking in she says that is probably the funniest thing i've ever heard i have something for you here's my address and my wife shape you know rolling her eyes like <laughs> oh god damn it. you know what's this purple one and we drive up and she hands me a brick from when they tore down the willie's factory all the Jeep employees, if they wanted one, got a original brick from the original Willys Overland factory, and she gave it to me. And I have it behind me on, on, my, on my shelf of all of my Jeep stuff. And I was so impressed with all of them that I, I mean, it, it's just like me in the childhood. You know, why do you like CJs? Because it was one of the happiest moments of my life. That became one of the happiest moments of my adult life. And I have wanted a Gladiator ever since then. Like those Jeeps, to me, there is something just sexy about them. And I know a lot of people are going to go, oh, the breakover angle, oh, the departure angle, all this, all that. Oh, sure. You know, Jeeps were too narrow, too, back in the day. You know, there, it's got its pros and its cons. And I want one so freaking bad, Tony. But financially, if I can spend $50,000 on a, you know, skid loader, I'm going to buy that instead of buying a $50,000 Jeep, you know, and I think you know, my wife and I continue to talk about it. And I know you and I've talked about it off, off, off air. If I was going to buy anything new, I would probably buy a Gladiator because I think they are so gosh darn attractive, like very, very attractive. And, and do you they know? still seem to be Jeepy to you? They do. They do. Uh, and, you know, I, I joke about the plastic Jeeps a lot. 
I'm still kind of getting over, you know, and I understand that some of the listeners are yelling, you know, there's plastic on your CJ. Like, I got it. Like, yeah, but there's more metal than plastic. And when I get into these, there's more plastic than metal. But they just have that identification as a Jeep. Like, when I see a TJ, I don't see that. But I think it's because that was one of the happiest moments of my adult life is that I got welcomed so openly by Jeep because of my time in service and the generational Jeeping that I've done. They, they actually looked at me and went, wow, this is, you have a special life. You know, and I grew up where nobody gave a shit that we had a Jeep and all they cared about was that I couldn't afford the new Nikes or couldn't afford the new Air Jordans. Right. And for someone to look at me and go, wow, you had one of the coolest childhoods that anyone could ever have. I think that really warmed my spirit to the, the, new, the new Gladiator. And what is it? The J is it the JT and the what's the Jeep? Uh, what's uh, help me out here? What's the the, uh, the Wrangler equip? The JL. Uh, I like those as well, but I like the truck better, you know. And I I think that's why I I want one so bad. And to see it before it even came out is, I mean, that's pretty special to me. Well, it you know, was it was an event. It was a big event in your life. You you tried yeah. something and it paid off for you. And I, I think yeah. what the audience should take away from this, the listeners should take away from this, is breaking and entering could actually be uh, something fun and exciting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I uh, uh, that what <laughs> one of the individuals that were there, he was actually uh, a veteran as well, and he gave me what's called a challenge coin. Any veteran will know that a challenge coin is you know something you bring to the bar and you throw it down, and if somebody you know has a better challenge coin, then then they have to buy you a, a drink. And he gave me a Toledo Jeep challenge coin and i've got challenge coins from two-star generals and from command sergeant majors and all this stuff for some of our, our time that we've we've done overseas and the that jeep challenge coin to me just meant that's one veteran that gets to live the life that i want which is building jeeps for a living and he gave it to me and he said you know it's one of the only times that thank you for your service meant something to me and i i just it's a memory that will never ever go away i can't tell you the year it happened i mean that's pretty sad but uh it was just neater than hell. I mean, really, it was real, real neat. Yeah. So, other than uh, having seen the the Gladiator two weeks before uh, released to everybody else, um, do you think you still would have been interested in the Gladiator simply because it reminds you of the Scrambler? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I bought the Scrambler sight unseen, and this was multiple years ago. I want to say six, seven years ago. Uh, I used to get phone calls all the time. That, uh, hey, you know, we found this Jeep, and that's actually how I found the 41. It's a, after the Scrambler story, we'll have to talk about that. It was absolutely amazing. Um, a buddy of mine on the street, it, yeah, he knew that I wanted Scramblers, but you who the hell can afford a $25,000 Scrambler and then go, you know, take it off-road? Like, that's oh, asinine. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I just couldn't do it. And he goes, well, we ha my, my buddy has a Scrambler. He's going through a divorce. Uh, he wants to sell it, which is the best way to buy a Jeep. And... Because they have to have the money, and they don't want the value to be written down in any kind of lawsuit, so they're they're literally giving them away. And I go, how much? He says six thousand dollars. This is sold. My he goes, goodness. really? Yeah, six thousand dollars scrambler. Like, yeah. So I went over there, and it was raining and dreary and everything. And you know, we backed the trailer up. It ran and drove and everything. It had a V eight in it with a four speed, and 
you know, sitting on 35s and all this, that, and the other. I'm like, oh, okay, so you bring it home and, you know, you don't get to see it for another couple of weeks because I am a working man. I, I want to work in cattle ranch and I own a working construction company. And at the time I was going to school to become an engineer. So, you know, I have, you know, three, four, five full-time jobs. And a couple of weeks later, you know, you, you pull the Jeep on a Sunday into the shop and you get underneath it and it was Swiss cheese. Like it was so bad. You're like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. And you start driving it and you realize even though it's got, you know, it's a, it's a bastardized Jeep. It's got a Chevy 350 in it. It could not do 55 miles an hour. And you open up the diff covers and it had 273 gears. Oh my goodness. You're like, what a piece of shit. So, you know, the first thing you do is you, you buy the gears and then you throw the lockers in it and then you do this. And then we did, you know, the, the big build a year ago. And, you know, after all of that, you go... Damn it! I never did fix the frame, you know. Yeah, and now <laughs> you're up to 56 of- miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a scrambler can can move now with the, that that uh, that five speed. You know, when when Jay got uh, and unfortunately when Jay got killed, I did drive at 90 miles an hour for an hour, and uh, it still runs. <laughs> it wasn't very happy at me, but yeah, what a what a jeep to move. But mm-hmm. And Jay being one the- of your uh, ranch uh, ranch dogs. Yeah, Jay was my service dog. Um, you know, in 2011, I was in, actually in Baghdad. Uh, it was the bloodiest year of the Iraqi campaign. And, uh, you know, I was a combat medic. So, you know, I mean, it just, you know, that, that is always with you. You know, it's, it's something that you just kind of deal with as you, as you move along with your life. And Jay really helped me because uh, I didn't really like people behind me, as you can imagine. Sure. And Jay was very, very low key, just kind of a cool ass dog that would just chill with me. And uh, he watched my six for, you know, all ten years that he uh, he was here on the ranch. And um, and it was just a, it was a bad loss. It was it was very, very devastating to us as a family. Uh, devastating to the community. Jay was well known throughout the ranching community here as as uh, you know Chuck's. They never, you know, we're not kind of nuts about it. We don't say service dog. It was just that's Chuck's dog, you know. Right. And uh, when Jay, when when uh, when Jay got killed tragically, and it was just a like a split of the moment. Nothing could have happened. You know, there's nothing that could have stopped it. It was just a you know equipment failure, and uh, just done. You know, lights out. And uh, um, you know, we gave him a uh, we gave him a proper burial, and uh, it was very, as you can tell, even right now, it's very difficult. To, oh, uh, of course. To I mean, I, I, and I like dogs, people, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, dogs, you know, are, are very consistent. They're, they're very um, honest, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah. they, they either like you or they don't, or maybe they don't uh, like you now, but they, they, uh, they probably will like you as they get to know you. And it's, the dogs are just fine. I've, I've always, yeah. there was no rhyme or reason. Uh, but as little as young as three years old, I was taken off going to uh, stray dogs that would just freak my mom out. But I've just always been very interested in dogs and just really uh, enjoyed dogs. And, and I've said it many times before, and I think many people are like this. Uh, I don't mean it to be this way. Uh, I guess I could control it if I want to. But if I'm meeting you as a new person, uh, in per- I should say in person, and you have a dog, the dog is going to get uh, the, the attention first. And I'm going to be half-ass paying attention to you for at least five minutes because I'm going to be messing with the I, dog. <laughs> it's just the yeah, way it is. How, how I, yeah, how I met Jay was kind of just, uh, you know, I was not looking for dogs. You know, I, I just didn't want that responsibility because mm-hmm. to me, a dog is like having a toddler. I mean, you have to give all of your attention to that dog. 
to train that dog and to assimilate into your life. And uh, so I was, you know, just back fresh from the first deployment and uh, the army gave me new ears. So I'm, you know, I'm hearing again for the very first time. And there's a lot of things that are going on around me, you know, as I, as I can actually function as a hearing individual again. And uh, I went to a gun show in uh, Manhattan, Kansas, and I went in and, you know, there's the quintessential, you know, sergeant of the guard standing there as you went into the armory and, uh, you know, and I walk around and there's not a lot there. You know, there's like people with knives and, you know, people, anyway, anytime anyone goes to a gun show, you know, 90% of it is shit and like 5% of it is cool. And the other five is the coffee vendor in the corner. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I just kind of go through and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. And it was right next to the pound. And I had never been inside of a, um, what do they call SBCA or, or whatever, ever in my life. And I was like, eh, I got nothing to do. You know, my wife was way up in Chicago working. She used to work for Deloitte, which is a, a big firm or a you know investment type company. And uh, I went in there and when I tell you that my hearing aids went off, they were going off. I mean, the cats were meowing and the dogs oh, were barking yeah. and were chirping. The lizards were lizarding and the snakes got their tongue things going around. And I'm like, oh my God, it was sensory overload. And I just kept walking through. And I walked back into the dog section. And these dogs are going apeshit. Tony, I don't know if you've ever been into a pound or anything, but these dogs are they're just, it's so bad. They don't have manners because they had terrible owners. And these dogs are just jumping around and barking and crazy. And Jay was just sitting in the back. Of course, his name was Buddy at the time. They called him Buddy. He was just sitting in the corner and he's just looking at me. And I walked back there and it was instantaneous brother like when i tell you that dog looked at me and i looked at him it was like son of a bitch i don't know you but i know you so i went out front and i says hey can i sit with this dog and i've never asked anything like that before mind you i've never been to a place like this she goes oh yeah there's like this little waiting room and i went to the waiting room and i'm sitting there and i'm and i'm nervous because i'm waiting for my best friend to walk in and he walked in set his head on my lap and looked at me, and I swear when I tell you, he said this. He said it. He goes, where have you been? And it, I mean, it hit me so hard, man. And I looked at him, and I said, I can't leave him here. He doesn't belong here. So I bought him. It was $100 because I had to pay for, like, the, the neutering fee or whatever. He was actually a stray out in what's called Pottawatomie County. He was living out on his own for two years. And... um I brought him home, and on the way home, my wife called and said, what'd you buy? <laughs> I, I said, are you effing kidding me? Do you really check on me that way? She goes, well, I'm an accountant. And she says, it's the end of the day, so I'm just checking all the bank statements, and it says you, that you gave $100 SPCA. What did you buy? And I says, I bought a blue healer. She says, well, I always wanted a red healer. And I go, well, he's a boy. She goes, I wanted a, a female red healer. You know, I have forever. And I go, well, you didn't get well, it. Well, you should have been, been there. <laughs> and and JW and I were inseparable up until the day he, he passed away. And that was, he was here for 10 years. Yeah, how crazy is that? I've never, never ever done that. I probably will never, never will do that. But you talk about pulling a man out of uh, some pretty bad you know, memories. And, you know, we've talked about it on the show a lot. Um, I know I've talked about it to some of the other um, vet listeners, you know, um, jeeping to me is what decompressed me and jay got me out jeeping 
because he didn't want to sit at the house. So he'd jump in the Jeep with me and we'd go up. And I think he knew it. You know, I mean, that that's that's how important this dog was to me. And um, yeah, that's so that's what, one of the reasons we bought the Scrambler was I wanted a place that I can, I know it kind of went on a, on a tangent here, but that that's why I bought the Scrambler. I wanted a place that I can throw my wife, myself, my two kids, and my dog in with me. You can't do that in a CJ5. You definitely can't. You can't do it in a CJ7, definitely can't do it in a CJ5. So I bought this piece of shit scrambler and started building it because I wanted a place to throw my dog and my kids. Now, of course, my kids have moved on and they have their own Jeeps, but um, that's why we bought that scrambler. Or I would have never, never even had anything that new because, you know, I just couldn't afford it, but... Yeah, yeah, very cool. Kind of went on a tangent there. Well, no, yeah, no. You when you said Jay died, I didn't want the listener that didn't know the the backstory to go. Oh my God, who's yeah. Jay? <laughs> yeah, Jay. Is that one yeah. of is that one of his uh uh one of uh, Chuck's uh, kids? And, and I guess in a way it was one yeah. of your children. But yeah, you know, dogs like- dogs don't live much longer than ten years. So even though it's always a hard loss, and and frankly, that's one of the reasons why. I don't like having uh, pets, especially a dog. I, I love the dogs so much. And uh, my daughters had to go through that when we lost a dog after having it only for a, a few years uh, due to uh, some, some heart issues that that breed has. And I encouraged my oldest daughter to replace that dog because it gives that, uh, that dog a, a home and some enjoyment and maybe something that they wouldn't have normally have gotten. And due to our, the length of our lives, we can actually enjoy uh, several uh, dogs in our lifetime. And just because it hurts uh, is not a, uh, not a reason not to enjoy that love. And, and loving something uh, or someone is always a danger because anything can happen to any time. And I think, and I've told you this off, uh, offline, um, I think Jay was there for you and that was uh, Jay's time for you to be there. And now it was yep. time for you to, to be able to handle things on your own. And, and, and Jay is... Uh, having yep. his reward for putting his time in. Yep, a hundred percent agree. Yep, hundred so percent. Now it's now it's your opportunity to, and I, and I know you already have. Uh, you had two dogs there, two ranch dogs. What's the other? Is it Red? Is the other dog? Uh, yeah. So uh, we ended up getting a Red Healer, and <laughs> because course. he wasn't Jay. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I actually, uh, uh, you know, it's another weird s- scenario. We have another ranching community or a ranching neighbor down the road and, and she's a big barrel racer and she says hey you know um, we, need, we need some help are you interested in a puppy and i says oh absolutely not because they take so much of our time and she says well you know she gave the story about this family that you know, had a brand new infant and thought it would be cool to have a brand new infant red healer the most aggressive breed of healers that they make and they were going to raise these two infants together well red dog of course is going to snap at a pup or at a child because you know red didn't know that so anyhow, when we got this red puppy, it had uh, it had been raised for the first uh, I think he was four or five months uh, raised for the first four or five months of his life by being hit oh, no. uh, a lot of negative reinforcement, which I can kill the sob that if I ever find him because I believe if you hit an animal you should be castrated. Um, and so red red we call him red dog. He he did not have the value that JW did, so uh, he never got a name. So red dog was always just named red dog unfortunately um so that's uh that's how he got his name and red dog hangs out with us a lot so now that jay is gone red dog has become my uh my shadow he does not leave does not move does not anything at any time 
that 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 hierarchy uh, of of him knowing uh, who should and shouldn't be uh, uh, hanging with you. That's interesting. It was almost like uh, uh, there yeah. was a uh, um, an unspoken uh, rules that was uh, oh, given there, to Red Dog. Oh, there was definitely a hierarchy, and uh, we purposely did that. So anytime that the dogs were getting fed, Jay got fed first. Uh, anytime that they would load up in the truck, Jay would load up first. And Red Dog had to learn his learn to wait. You know, as a puppy, you know, he's all about himself and getting all of his stuff. And we had to let him know, like, hey, you know, man, there, there is a hierarchy. You know, anytime Marilee and I go into a vehicle, I always open the door. She goes in first. You know, absolutely. She is uh, everything to me. So she always gets the more lavish stuff, you know, and Jay meant more to me than Red Dog. And uh, Red Dog had to learn, you know. So what you're saying is Red Dog is like the red-headed stepchild. He is the redheaded stepchild, <laughs> and uh, and his disposition is a lot different than Jay. Uh, he definitely is not here for anybody other than himself, and we just get to tag along into his wonderful world of running around and wagging his tail. You know, so <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm hoping that uh, you uh, you get another dog, uh, maybe another uh, another healer, maybe another blue healer, and obviously you're never you will never replace Jay. And but you shouldn't think that way. What you're doing is you're giving another dog an opportunity to have a, a great life, and uh, it yeah. also gives you uh, a lot of uh, enjoyment as well. So uh, anyway, yeah. I, I hope to hear that uh, that you you get another another animal, well, uh, red. Uh, I mean, uh, blue healer or not? Another one. Yeah. Well, definitely. Uh, red dog is learning how to get in the jeep right now. It's a little. Uh, red dog's got stubby little legs, so uh, the scrambler on 35s. He's having a hard time jumping into the back of the scrambler. But uh, maybe there's a new Jeep in the future. We don't know. That's uh, right. We're actually getting so he might uh, he might be, be get into the he might become a plastic Jeep dog. I don't know. <laughs> so absolutely wonderful background story uh, here, uh, uh, Chuck, and uh, of your life and stuff. But I, I really wanted yeah. to get into um, the 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 very first thing I was going to start with was when you started listening to the show and and how it, uh, it brought you into the show. But I don't think that we have have time to do that now i think that we may have to have to bring that into a, another interview you have uh, so much interesting stuff to say very very special time uh learning learning the show and doing the big uh the big the west coast uh, jeep deal for dad mm -hmm. that was amazing we got some neat stories about when we bought the 41 slack grill uh, what i paid for it to begin with is just <laughs> it's it's almost embarrassing to the person who sold it and uh, the warm and top, the Jeep that we have, I mean, the, the, the Colorado trip to go buy my son's Jeep that, you know, we ended up buying two Jeeps to build his one. I mean, there is, and this isn't even the wheeling stories. I mean, there is <laughs> hours upon hours upon hours of, you know, wheeling stories and, you know, how many times I've ripped my frame in half or thrown my motor through the radiator on a trail and how do you get out and, you know, all the Jeep tricks that we learned, you know, out in the middle of desolation wilderness where, you know, really all you had was a come along a couple sticks and some bailing wire and, you know, you had to get out of the trail because, you know, cell phone service is just not a thing. I mean, there is, we can sit for days and not tell the same story twice. Oh, you know, course. what a great life that I have, you know, what a, what a wonderful, and that's why I'm so privileged now to be a part of the show and, and, uh, you know, maybe bring those, bring some of those stories onto the show, you know, slowly and, and, uh, integrated into some of the other stuff that's going on. It's just a neat, neat, neat life. You know, I'm very, very lucky 
to uh, to have lived the life I did, you know. Well, we're certainly happy that you you found us and uh, wanted to be part of the show. I still don't think you have enough time in your life for it, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about that. I'm gonna let Chuck worry about that because <laughs> it's a, a yeah. privilege to, for us to have you in the show. So, Chuck, yes. I think that what this does is it gives a clear indication to our our listener that that you have a lot. Uh, to bring to the show and uh, they need to keep listening and uh, hear all the stuff yeah. that you're going to bring to the show yeah i'm not i'm not just the guy in the background with the funny antics and the stories and or you know the the just the ad-lib things it there's uh there's a lot of i mean three generations of jeeping there's so much knowledge that you cannot buy from the store i mean there's so many neat things that uh to help people out on the trail and stuff that you just we had to learn out of necessity you know there was no widget that they had now and you a lot of the listeners, you know, you can't, I mean, it's, it. you got family, you got kids, you got all this other stuff. You can't go buy the thingies. There's a lot of ways around it, you know, and, and I hope that's what I get to bring. I, that's what I hope to get to bring is you don't have to buy all of the widgets to get out there. You know, you just, you need to have a little bit of knowledge and some tricks in your belt, you know, and you can do what these, these other guys do with the $80,000 rigs. You know, you, nothing wrong with them. I God, I wish I wish I could afford an eighty thousand dollar Jeep, but you know, you can go out with these older Jeeps and have just as much fun and kind of a little bit more. You know, because they they start sniffing around and like, how the hell did you get here? Like, oh, well, <laughs> you I learned this. You didn't trick. spend and, the eighty thousand dollars that's necessary to be able to do that. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of the cool thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think one of the I, I know we're running over time, and one of the coolest stories I've ever ever got will ever be able to tell my my buddy matt and i went out with a jeep club the capital city mountain goats it's a great jeep club on the west coast my my family actually are, are the originating founders of it and uh they didn't know who we were and we were up in the mountains on the strawberry pass trail which is no longer in existence it all got burnt down a couple years ago and uh i had my really shitty cj5 and, and it was multi-color you know no top i mean it didn't even have matching tires or wheels on it you know and i think the tires and wheels were you know different sizes even and uh we kind of got shunned a little bit you know because they don't know who these guys are we're in our early 20s we get all the way up to the very tippy top we didn't spin a tire or nothing you know there's a lot of you know three wheel pedaling and and just some fun and uh the well, guy there was very boastful about uh, the amount his tires cost. And uh, he was kind of, how do I say? He's just being a dick to us. And my buddy, Matt, who's very outspoken and knows where I come from and knows the uh, the lifestyle that we've had to endure to get to where we're at, you know, we were at the time, which was still not very good. And he goes, that's really neat, bro. You know you have more in your tires than my friend has in his entire Jeep, and yet we're at the same place? <laughs> and that guy shut up so fast and matt said man it's not about the rig it's about the driver and that made me so proud as a person because you know it's sometimes it's a little embarrassing i mean even though there's a lot of us out there that go hey, i don't really give a shit what you feel or what you think and it's kind of intimidating sometimes when you go out and there's this guy with the you know at the time a sixty thousand dollar you know tj and, you know, I've got a 1974 CJ5 with not even matching wheels, you know, <laughs> and we're at the same place. We were there together. And I think Matt and I had more fun than that guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really did. You know, it's and, funny. Uh, that's, I, that's what I want to bring. I don't know if you've uh, actually, I think you have seen the the new Top Gun movie. Was it Maverick or something? Uh, yeah. Did yeah. you do you remember the line? Because I haven't seen it, but I've been seeing clips of it. Do you remember the line where uh, the, uh, the the pilot in the back or the, the co-pilot in the back of the F-14 says, 
uh, Maverick, you've uh, you you've said it's not the plane, it's the pilot. So they stole that from you, is what I'm telling you. They did. Yeah, Tom, uh, Tom, uh, Tom owes me some money. That's right. I'm just say that there, there could be a lawsuit. <laughs> so really cool and a great story, and uh, we look forward to hearing a lot more of your stories, not only uh, in a, a, a next interview, but also to uh, reoccurring on uh, the Jeep Talk Show. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks for having me.